What the hell? Boy, those are words we don't often say. But for the next three weeks, we're going to ask ourselves, what the hell? Which hell? What do we believe about hell? What does the Bible say about hell? Join me for these three weeks with Pastor Tasha and the One Prez Pod. Hello there, everybody. It's Pastor Tasha Blackburn, and I've got Jan Steck again with me today. Hello there, Jan. Hiya. Good morning. And we even have, we're in my office, and through the window we can see there's folks installing solar panels actually on that roof, Jan. I don't know if you can see that. Yeah, I can. Yeah. How did you mention it? Well, so anyway, we might hear them every now and then. It means that they are working really hard in the heat while we sit in the air conditioning, oh, Jan. Good for them. And discuss hell. Mm, they're in there. <laughs> I know. They're feeling a version of it, aren't they, today in the heat. But before we begin, Jan, and we're going to talk about hell as we find it in the New Testament this week. Um, any kind of, what thoughts have you had over the last week since we've talked about the hell in the Old Testament issues? Well, the Old Testament issues were things that I really didn't have that much knowledge about, but were very interesting to learn Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, we don't talk about it very much, no, do we? No, we're not big discussers of the afterlife there. <laughs> not at that end, anyway. Yeah. Um, but I found it very, very interesting, stuff I had no... And it gives you a perspective on how the people of the time lived. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it comes down to us uh, in the scriptures. And it's so interesting, because I do think we overlay so... Uh, well, like with anything, we overlay so much of our... Um, of others... Uh, topics of other resources and other sources on top of it. Mm -hmm. But to sort of peel that back and say, look what it actually says. Look what they're actually talking about. Um, They're talking about going to sleep. They're talking about uh, nothingness. And that's what we see through the vast majority of the Old Testament is this Sheol and nothingness, right? Yeah, that's what was so interesting is that this is the what the, I guess, rules they lived by, what they Mm -hmm. understood it to mean. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's some, something totally different than what we understand it to mean. Yes, and we started to get a little bit toward that uh, at the end of, of our time last week of how about 200 years before Christ uh, came to earth, uh, Jewish understanding of afterlife, hell, immortality of the soul, all that big hunk of topic started to shift. Um, and we don't know if it shifted in part because of uh, the, the torment that many Jewish people were experiencing at the time um, in the different parts of the world they lived in. We don't know if that's related, but that was going on at the same time. And so they started to develop this understanding that, well, maybe there is an afterlife. If there's an afterlife, does that mean there's a reward and a punishment um, in the afterlife? And that's just starting to get developed uh, and kind of bubbling all around during the years that Jesus ministered that grew up and ministered. So we're going to talk about hell as we find it in his world, in Jesus's world, the New Testament today. And maybe even more so than last week, we're going to have to peel away what we think we know. Um, Next week, we're going to talk about, well, okay, what do Presbyterians believe about hell then? All right, help me out here. (laughs) Help me out. Uh, But that's not for this week. This week, we're just going to try to peel back 
and see what we actually see in the Gospels and then in the letters and, and other books of the New Testament. Okay. So, all right, so we're going to try that, Jan, today. It's going right. to be fun. Well, maybe the first thing to reveal is, and maybe we sensed this, but maybe we didn't, is that Jesus doesn't talk about hell very often at all. It's not a theme of his uh, teachings. It does not appear to be a reason why he came um, to instruct on hell. Uh, when he first begins his ministry, he pretty famously goes to a synagogue and, and pulls out a scroll of Isaiah and like looks through the scroll of Isaiah. If you've ever been to a synagogue and seen how mm -hmm. they have, they have to unroll, unroll, unroll. He looks for a section of it and then he reads these words. He says, uh, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to preach good news to the poor, proclaim release to the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's what I've been sent here to do. And then Jesus says to them, he like rolls up the scroll, and he says, today the scripture has been fulfilled. You're welcome. Like that's in the parentheses, I think. You're welcome. This is what I've been sent here to do. And none of that is about hell. And real honestly, none of it's about heaven either. It's about this world. Kind of about how you should live your life. Yeah, I came here, I'm preaching good news, and mm -hmm. I'm gonna preach it to the poor. I'm gonna recover sight to the blind. I'm gonna look for the vulnerable among us. I'm bringing hope in the, to the world. I'm bringing hope, yeah, to the vulnerable in this world. Mm -hmm. So that really is, we need to kind of start there, because that really is his main thrust, his main focus. Um, he does not mention hell very often at all, um, but we're going to talk about the few times he does. Uh, and one of the most famous is in his parable of the last judgment, which we may remember involves sheep and involve little goats. I know. I feel it's so bad. Sad. I feel bad for the goats. <laughs> Poor goats. And as a left-handed person, I feel bad that they're on the left side. Yeah, no baby goats in pajamas jumping around. Yeah. Yes. So to remind us of that parable, um, Jesus tells a parable uh, in Matthew, and he says, you know, at the last days, the one who rules is going to have uh, sheep and goats. Sheep will be on the right side. Goats will be on the left side. And the sheep will have eternal reward, eternal life. I'm sorry, that's the wording, eternal life. And the goats will have eternal punishment. And the sheep first say, what, how do we get, why are we sheep? You know, like they don't know why they're sheep and why they've been chosen. And in the parable, he says, it's because I was hungry and you gave me food to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me a drink. I was stranger. You welcomed me. I was naked. You gave me clothes. I was sick. You took care of me and I was in prison and you visited me. And they say, no, I don't remember doing that uh, to you, ruler and judge. And he says, well, when you did it to the least of these then you were doing that to me, and so that's why you are sheep. By go, helping others, you're helping go me. Go to your eternal yeah. life, right? And then the goats, of course, are the opposite. We didn't see you sick. We didn't see you naked. We didn't see... Well, when you didn't give, serve, feed, care, for the least of these, you didn't do it for me, and so you have eternal punishment. Um, so there's this eternal life piece and eternal punishment. And that is one of the most specific times... Uh, that Jesus does talk about an eternal life and a reward punishment idea um, of how they treated the least of these. Which I would remind us, um, 
he's already shifting though a little bit of what would get you reward because for the Jews of the time, of course, it, this uh, is about purity, it's about following the law, it's about keeping all of the, all of those commandments, like 600 and some odd mm. commandments, right? Um, and Jesus basically says, no, reward and punishment aren't going to be based on purity or anything like that. They're going to be based on feeding, clothing, you know. What you do for your fellow human beings. Yeah. So he's already shifted it, uh, what it's going to be. Yeah. So when he talks about eternal punishment, here's the three things we're going to talk about today. He's, there were three ideas, more than this, but the three we're going to talk about. There were sort of three images of hell in Jesus' time. Hades. Gehenna, and dun dun dun, the lake of fire. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Just the thought of that it sounds like an oil spill. The lake of fire. No, this is not good. This is not good. Well, Hades. Let's get Hades out of the way for a second, because Hades is only mentioned eleven times in the whole New Testament, not just the Gospels, but the whole New Testament. And almost every time it's mentioned, not every time, but almost every time it's mentioned, it seems like it's basically Sheol from last week. It's the grave, Hades. It's sort of neutral. Uh, it's not punishment or reward. It's just the grave. So there's Hades for you. Jesus never refers to Hades. Um, the, when he refers to hell, every single time he refers to hell, he refers to this Gehenna place, which I showed a picture of Gehenna Ooh. to the class. I'll have oh. I'll let people look it up. In fact, if you want to look it up, type into your Google machine. Uh, Gehenna, G-E-H-E-N-N-A, Gehenna, and then images. It's lovely. No. <laughs> Do you remember anything I told the class about some of the things that happened at Gehenna? At this real place, it's, a, it's like a valley southwest of Jerusalem, of the city of Jerusalem. It was on the border of two kind of clans, uh, tribal lines. Um, do you remember anything that, uh, an example, well, anything that happened in Gehenna? Well, it made me think of a landfill. Um, That's right. It was a land. It was their trash dump. Plus, but people were murdered there. They were set on fire. Yes. They were their bodies and everything were abandoned. Yes. It just. Ooh. You remember a lot about Gehenna, don't you? Yeah. So Gehenna was a real place. It's a beautiful valley now, um, but it had been since ancient times um there were but i can't say this word but 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 all worshipers mm -hmm. b-a-a-l ball worshipers there and there were also folks who worshiped a god called moloch uh m-o-l-e-c-h moloch and this really became a sacred site for them they felt that their gods would be appeased by child sacrifice oh gosh and mm. And by fire. And so there were fires burning in that valley. Um, Isaiah mentions them. Jeremiah mentions them. I mean, for thousands of years, there had been fires there. And people would um, sacrifice children through those fires, um, believing it would be helpful. Maybe they thought it would be purification yeah, of, their boy, little oh boy. of their little souls. I don't know that the children thought no, so. No, I'm sure not. So it was a really horrifying place even before other things happened. And as you mentioned, um, it had become a place where when there were battles around the area, this became the dumping ground for uh, soldiers who had died in those battles. 
Um, in Jesus's time, it also became the trash dump. Um, and so it was always on fire. Um, that's sort of horrible to think about, mm-hmm. but it was always on fire and it was always trash as well. Criminals would be buried there when no one knew where to put their bodies. It was an awful place. And everybody, when he said the word, uh, would have known what he meant. So we translate it hell all these times Jesus is talking about hell. But the word is Gehenna. And he's he is probably pointing to a future place or to like to a pl- an otherworldly place. But first and foremost, it's probably really good for us to remember he's talking about a hell on earth mm-hmm. too a- as well. A and real hell on earth. A real hell on earth. And so um, so we don't quite know uh, what he's using with it, but it does uh, mean, like when he says something like, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter God's kingdom with one eye than to be thrown into Gehenna with two. Okay, so yes, he could mean a future place, an otherworldly mm-hmm. place. He also could be using hyperbole and extreme language, you know, right? To get attention. That says, like, it would be better to lose an eye than to get thrown in the trash. Because they all knew where it was and what it was. I mean, we're just... You know you don't want to be in the trash, You know it's not that... mm -mm, Yeah, exactly. So we do this all the time. We'll, We'll say, like, oh, I'm freezing. Well, you're not really freezing. Oh, I'm starving. Well, you're not really starving. We use this all the time. Um, we do it with children a lot, you know, to get their attention. To get the point across. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh, my mother used to always, oh, she's going to die if I say this on the line. But anyway, she always used to say, I'm going to beat you to a pulp. My poor mother, see, she sounds like a monster, right? If taken out of context, she never beat us to a pulp. She never beat us at all, but right away, by, I mean, at all, right? But she would say it mm-hmm. to get our attention. I'm going to beat you to a pulp. She would not want that to be written and then called scripture 2,000 years later in her name, right? No. She's just trying to get a point across, get your attention. Exactly. So, And I'm not implying, by the way, everyone, that my mother is Christ. Uh, not at all. And that we would have scriptures about her. But it does, it is a reminder of how our language works and of what we say to get attention and of what we say that when we have emotion behind it and body language and tone, you can tell we don't have any of that left. All we have is the words on the page. Um, and so not the only way to read it, but one way to read it is Jesus saying, I'm telling you, I'm going to toss you in the trash if you don't stop this. You know, that's how important this is. Um, not ever meaning he's going to literally toss us in the trash, but just trying to get our attention. That's at least one way to read these scriptures. To make people think. Yeah. Take pause and think a minute. Ooh. Yeah. So Gehenna. He refers to Gehenna um, quite a few times um, in the Gospels. You can read those passages. And if you want to go, you know, Google uh, Gehenna in the New Testament, you can read all those passages. And you might want to insert the word Gehenna into them um, as as you think about them, even just to broaden and deepen our understanding of what he might be trying to teach us there. Um, it doesn't mean that there isn't necessarily something otherworldly, but let's remind ourselves there's also something 
worldly. He says some of the things that are going to get you sent there are causing a child to stumble in their faith, uh, not cutting off the eye or the hand, that, that passage that we just had, uh, not caring for the least of these, we talked about that, uh, a personal not favorite is uh, calling a brother or sister a fool. Mm. Jan, <laughs> let's discuss your personal situation here. Would you ever, ever, ever have been guilty in all your years of oh, calling sure. someone a fool? Uh -oh. I, have, I have two little brothers that are quite a bit younger. Uh-oh, so they may be calling you after this podcast and going, Jan, we need to discuss you in the trash pit because you called us a fool a lot, right? They were used to having an older sibling. <laughs> yeah, so we even have that in the Gospels where Jesus says, you know, if you call a brother or sister a fool, uh, it's straight to Gehenna for you. Well, gosh, what do we do with that? Um, and I think one, at least one answer would be, uh, Jesus is trying to say a broken relationship that you don't even care about repairing is worse than fiery trash. Mm -hmm. And brother and sister may also be not just your real siblings, but your brothers and sisters. Um, in Christ. In Christ. Yeah, yeah. yeah, you're right. Are you Part trying to make fellowship. this right, though, for how you treated your brothers? Is, no. Is this you, you trying to make it right now? No. <laughs> <laughs> they still love me. <laughs> I am an older sister as well, so and have much to atone for in that relationship. Yeah, well, so we could discuss that oh, sometime. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, so that's mostly what Jesus refers to, is this Gehenna piece, um, which probably points to another world but also points to this area outside Jerusalem. And then we get one, a couple examples of it in the Gospels, but mostly in the book of Revelation, we get this third idea of the lake of fire. Um, and uh, the use of fire in Scripture is very interesting. Um, of course, we have fire at Pentecost, you know, and that's not seen as a punishment at all. That's seen as a great blessing and its power, you know. Mm -hmm to have this fire uh, in their lives now. Um, we have it in the Old Testament quite a bit of fire as purifying, you know? Fire is gonna clean off all the rusted bits, right? Mm -hmm. And only leave what is strong. Uh, so there's this sense of, of fire as purifying. And then there's the sense of fire as annihilation. The big destroyer. A big destroyer, you know? And uh, so, when they talk about the lake of fire, when John, uh, who wrote Revelation, when he talks about the lake of fire in Revelation, he talks about um, it being, there's this new heaven and new earth all the way at the very end of Revelation. And in that new heaven and new earth, there's no crying, there's no weeping, there's no death, there's no mourning, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, no mourning anymore. Um, but there's also this lake of fire, and this is what he says. He says, the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. Um, that's the lake of fire. Uh, and we talked about in class, um, I researched for you guys, like, why sulfur? What's I just going on with sulfur? I just remembered it from chemistry and, class. And I think you helped the class remember. Yeah. So what does sulfur do with it, fire? It enhances the flame. It enhances the yeah, flame. Yeah. Just it makes it even hotter. Yeah. And so we might hear that as like, oh, gosh, that sounds terrible. The torment is worse. But actually, the language we get around the lake of fire uh, throughout the book of Revelation is that it's so hot 
that basically they're annihilated immediately. Um, it's not about tormenting them longer. It's about the flames are so hot you're incinerated. This is a really uplifting isn't subject, it isn't it? Yeah. As I said, it's this is just a knee slapper. <laughs> uh, but it may be um, a, almost a merciful thing that you're you're going to go. You've done some terrible things. Yeah. But I'll make it fast for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I got good news and, and I, got I got bad news. <laughs> Your annihilation will be speedy. Yeah. Well, it is interesting uh, because I think one of the main things we think about hell is torment. Yes. Eternal torment, right? And uh, what I'm saying is in in looking at the New Testament scriptures themselves, we don't see much evidence of torment in hell. We have this Hades, which is the grave, neutral, you know, just dead. Uh, we have Gehenna, which is this hell on earth, um, and maybe sort of a, a, a trash dump you don't want to go to. There could be this otherworldly connection. And we have this lake of fire um, where it, it's just incinerated. It's just nothing. You will be nothing. And um, it's interesting even to go all the way back to his parable of the last judgment. He says to the sheep, you have eternal life. And he says to the goats, you have eternal punishment. And the opposite of life is not torment. Right. The opposite of life is death. Um, and so is there a sense in which what we get in the New Testament is this idea that the only thing that is immortal is God. He, he will live forever. He lives and reigns forever. And so in the next life, all who are attached to him, right, are eternal as well. And if you are not attached to him, you just aren't. Mm -mm. You just don't exist. Um, I'm not saying this is great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying this is what we appear to be seeing uh, yeah, but in what's the written New Testament. Down. Yeah. yeah. It's, I don't know. And, of course, in class, as I knew would happen, uh, Shirley, I'm going to name drop here. Shirley raised her hand and she said, what about that story about the rich man and Lazarus? Uh, where Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and Lazarus and Lazarus is in heaven and the rich man is in hell being tormented and he can see Lazarus in heaven and wants to figure out how to get himself there, right? And there's this parable told. And it does imply torment in hell. Uh, do you remember what I said to Shirley? No, I don't remember. <laughs> I said, Shirley, I don't know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's why I don't remember. I, this is not systematic. You know, our scriptures don't pretend to be systematic. They don't pretend uh, to be lockstep. Uh, and it's not one person writing all this. No, these are inspired. And it's over centuries. These it's, are inspired by the Holy Spirit to teach us more and more and more and come at it from different angles all the time, trying to take us deeper into who God is and what God desires for us, right? It's not going to be systematic. Mm -mm. So anyway, so we do. I will just say we do have that parable of Lazarus uh, and this rich man who's being tormented. So what to do with that in the light of the idea of like hell on earth and and incineration? Eh, I don't know. Just throw it in the mix. We have that as well. So there is that evidence there. But when most artists centuries ago pictured you know did their paintings of hell there was fire everywhere exactly, exactly. and people with 
looks of great torment on their face. Yes. And so but then that's how not many what the Bible yeah. says. And so how many of our versions and our beliefs about hell are based on some of that art and based on, you know, the writings of Dante oh, uh, when yeah. he wrote about Inferno and everything? That's not scripture. Mm-mm. Dante wrote that uh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about that, I think, next week in terms of what do we uh, Presbyterians believe about hell um, that I mean every Presbyterian is going to believe what we talk about next mm. week, right? But this will be kind of the basic Presbyterian belief about hell. And then where do we get some of these other things then? Where have they come, where have from, they come from? That have just kind of formed a ball, a knotty ball of stuff. And labeled hell. Labeled <laughs> hell. Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, as we close today, we closed last week talking about two topics. Um, and so we'll do that again this week. And that's... Super exciting and uplifting still. Uh, So we talked about what about the devil in the Old Testament? Where do we meet him? Is he a figure there? And he really isn't. Uh, There's a story in Job where he's this accuser uh, or tempter. Um, You could argue maybe that snake way back there in the garden, but he's never labeled the devil. Um, There's not a lot of devil figure or Satan figure in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we do see a lot more talk of the devil. He's given the name Beelzebul. I can't say that word either, Jan. Mm. Beelzebul. He's called the ruler of the demons. He's called Satan, and he's called the devil. And probably his most famous moment in the New Testament is right before Jesus begins his public ministry. He goes into the wilderness and fasts and prays for 40 days. And in that time, we read in, in the Gospels that Satan tempts him there. Satan tempts him with power and with glory and uh, all of this. And Jesus refuses to be tempted by Satan. So we do have uh, a little more stories of Satan um, in Scripture. He's still not hugely uh, involved, but he is more there in the New Testament. Jesus himself is accused of being Satan um, because he is casting out demons. Mm-hmm. And so some of the religious authorities are like, well, hold it. Are you Beelzebul? And he says to them, you know, are you kidding me? You know, can Satan cast out Satan? You know, no, only not Satan can, tell Satan, it, right? can tell Satan to hit the road. Uh, and so they even have that kind of uh, going on in... Uh, with Jesus they're wondering about his role and he's saying some of the times that Satan's even brought up in the gospels is with Jesus refuting and saying no I am not Satan no (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and then in the new in the book of Revelation of course we often commonly think there's a lot of reference to Satan there's not uh not often by name is there there's this dragon figure there's this beast figure. Um, they're all sort of get images given of, of evil and of power. Um, it's commonly understood that the beast uh, is not actually an otherworldly power. It's the, it's the empire of Rome um, that he's talking about, and he just calls it the beast because uh, it so has its thumb on them. So there is this mix in Revelation, too, of kind of maybe powers and principalities and also earthly powers that are doing horrendous things 
Uh, so you get a little of that Gehenna thing. Yeah, and we were talking about like the, uh, the outside influence of things. Well, this is what they were dealing with. Exactly. Yeah. They, you know, and so that's why it was the beast to them. Yeah, I'm suffering here. Yeah. This is the beast. Um, exactly. And, you know, every generation, um, for folks who have especially suffered, um, will have, you know, they'll, be, they'll read the book of Revelation, and that beast is something else mm-hmm. um, for them. And maybe that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah. Exactly. It's a vision, he mm-hmm. says. He says he he tells us from the beginning, this is not a science textbook. John says, I had a vision, mm-hmm. and here's what it was. And so um, it's a vision for his time and had meaning for his time, and it's a vision that we take, and especially for those who suffer. Maybe that's part of the point, mm-hmm. is that this is what I'm saying, but you apply it to how it works in mm-hmm. your life, in your time. Mm-hmm. You know, having a, the vision of knowing something about the future. Exactly. And no matter what you think of the devil or hell or, or or evil powers and principalities, the main thrust of the book of Revelation is that all those powers and principalities end up in the lake of fire. They're defeated. Um, they don't have any power anymore. They don't get to run the show. And so let's not lose the forest for the trees, right? And say, oh, devil, 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 evil, um, Satan. No. They're all defeated. Uh, so that that's a, a good thing to remember, even as he makes more of an appearance in the New Testament. He is defeated, um, and it's no competition. Yeah. <laughs> well, isn't that some good news? Oh, yeah. We just, I know. This has I know. been the greatest series, I'm telling you. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thanks, Jan. Okay, and one last thing. So last week he ended on, okay, so then what is salvation um, for the Jewish people? Uh, especially pre-200 years before Christ, if the soul is mortal, then what salvation was was um, a Messiah in this world to help change and better their lives in this world. And it was also that idea of the community will be saved together. The people of Israel will continue on and continue as the covenant people and that that is salvation. So that was the Old Testament answer to it. The New Testament answer... um, is this both here and now aspect, or here now and later aspect of it? So the first thing Jesus says, his first sermon was, repent and believe the kingdom of God has come near. Not the kingdom of God, you want to get in the kingdom of God, right? Repent and believe, you really want to get into the kingdom of God, you know you do. No, it was repent and believe the kingdom of God has come near. There is this sense in which we are saved here and now, Uh, There is salvation to experience benefits of our faith here and now, and there's also salvation uh, in the next life eternally. So for Christians, we can often forget that first piece, but there's this here and now quality of our salvation as well as this eternal quality. Part of your heaven, in quotes, is happening during your life. Exactly. And you you make it that heaven. Exactly. When you think about... um, John Calvin called it the benefits of faith. He mm-hmm. called it the benefits of faith. And it was the here and now benefits of the faith, uh, which, you know, I think so many of us could name. Um, hope and courage and uh, resilience and um, a community. And, you know, all these things, strength from that community, the ability to pray, all this stuff, right, is right here and right now and helps to save us every hour, every mm-hmm. day, get through the, you get know, through your to life. get through anything. 
um, it's a benefit right here and now. Um, so our salvation is not all about the end. It's also about today. Yeah. Oh, Jan, you have allergies, and yes. yet you braved through. I'm so proud of That's you. That's why I sound so croaky. She sounds so croaky, everyone, because she has allergies like all the rest of us, because we live in the Romantic River Valley. And, and there's lots of trees. From the Romantic River Valley uh, to all of you, uh, we wish you a good day, and we'll talk to you again next week for the last in our three-part series on health. Thanks, Jan. You're welcome. Anytime. If you like the One Prez Pod, please like us in your podcast platform or share us with a friend. Until next time, peace.